Holy Toledo did this summer fly by fast. I feel like the water literally never warmed up this year. I don't know, maybe that's because it rained nonstop. And we had maybe two warm and sunny weekends in between. Just a total goober of a summer. But I hope you all were able to enjoy the nice months a little bit more than I did. And if not, let me try to cheer you up. truly believe that the mind and psychology of a serial killer may be the most interesting, if not horrifying thing to ever fully understand. And while science is still decades away from coming even remotely close, they have made great strides. There's so much good information out there regarding this topic, and yesterday I came across this article titled 25 Psychological Facts About Serial Killers You Might Not Know by Amanda O'Brien. So much of it I've heard before, as I'm sure you have, but I just want to take a moment before jumping throat first into the story today and read you a few pieces of her writing that I found particularly cool. She begins, so obviously the article is kind of like a list and then she elaborates on each one, but she begins, quote, there's no doubt that the actions of serial killers throughout history have, for better or worse, captured our attentions and imaginations. As much as has been as much as had as much as has been written about them, the inner workings of their minds remain largely a mystery. One thing must be true though. Regular human behavior and that of a serial killer cannot be one and the same. Or can it? It's within this question that there lies an uncomfortable truth. No two serial killers are the same, although some may share psychological psychological personality traits, there is so much more unknown about them that discovering some of the known psychological facts about serial killers is exciting and frightening, end quote. Okay, so I'm just going to start here with her personal number one, and then I'm going to beat bop around a little bit and skip all the stuff you smarties already know. So number one, quote, serial killers can be made. While the argument of nature versus nurture rages on throughout many fields, this is mostly not true with serial killers. Psychologically, most serial killers seem more influenced by developmental experiences and mental disturbances. This might not be the obvious answer if you want to understand why serial killers do what they do, but criminologists hold that, in most cases, serial killers have experienced traumatizing events in their lives. Number five. Serial killers may not be as smart as people think. Ever heard the myth that killers, serial killers present high IQs? Although widely believed because of misrepresentation they, that they have above normal intelligence levels, they mostly show average to slightly below average IQs. What comes into play here, psychologically, is that most people categorize serial killers as either insane or super intelligent because of the nature of their deeds. Some individuals, such as Ed Kemper, Jeffrey Dahmer, and Ted Bundy, did have slightly elevated IQs, but they are the exception. The truth, however, is that most showcase increased levels of psych psychopathy. <clears throat> so essentially, 
in most cases, they're average to below average, except in some cases like the super, super famous ones. She continues, Interesting, interestingly enough, research results have shown that serial killers who predominantly use bombs do present above average IQs. And the same applies to killers who occupy a specific career, especially in medicine. Harold Shipman, aka Dr. Death, had an estimated IQ between 140 and 150. During his lifetime, he won multiple awards for his work in clinical surgery and was a respected figure in the community. He, however, also took the lives of an estimated 250 victims and, of one of, and is one of history's most prolific killers, end quote. And that section I found particularly disturbing. I know it was a lot of hoopla and a lot of extra words, but like we all know serial killers are different and vary extremely from one to another. But this is like really running the whole gambit, having below average IQ serial killers who still get away with murder to these highly elevated IQs who are doctors killing hundreds of people. Now, this next piece, I'm sure we're quite aware of, but Amanda does make special mention again of Ted Bundy and why he is a, you could say, special case, not only because he was slightly smarter than, or if not much smarter than most other serial killers. So number nine, quote, they tend to stick to one area. Contrary to what popular Hollywood blockbusters would have you believe, serial killers do not roam around the country or world finding and killing victims. While their tendency to travel for other reasons, perhaps career-wise, is up for debate, they generally stick to one designated area for their killing. Why? Psychologists believe that within the minds of most serial killers, they create a killing comfort zone. And this comes down to a defined geographic area of operation where they feel most at ease committing their crimes, which boils down to a psychological familiarity with where they can successfully stalk and kill their prey. Which, uh, but before I continue, I think is just like creature of habit. Like I'm a very habitual person, so if I were a killer, I'd probably fall into that category as well. She goes on to say, one of the most famous serial killers of all time, Jack the Ripper, committed all of his murders in the, ver- in the very small district of Whitechapel in London. What is fascinating to psychologists is that usually this comfort zone revolves around an anchor point such as a place of employment or residence. Once again, being the exception to this, Ted Bundy traveled to seven different states to find and kill his victims. He recorded a 30 homicides throughout these seven states, end quote. And that is also very reminiscent of Israel Keys, who would stash murder caches across the country for murder on the go, essentially. And finally, before I bore you with her article, well, her article isn't boring, but I may be boring. We don't know why or why not they stop. They sometimes stop. They don't stop. Quote, Often, people believe that once a serial killer begins his or her murderous spree, they are unable to stop. Unfortunately, there is no basis for this in psychology, psychology, as it mainly differs from one case to the next. There doesn't seem to be a psychological concept that enough is enough for serial killers. The opposite is also true, as there is no conceivable idea of the end goals of most serial killers, 
in some cases, they do stop for a long period, extending into years, and then resume killing. In contrast, some killers start and do not stop until they are caught. The vital thing to remember here is that when a serial killer stops before being caught, they do so because they want to, not because they feel they have to. One of the most famous examples of this is the Zodiac Killer, who caused chaos in the 1960s and then seemingly vanished. Of course, there are some sporadic cases where a serial killer stops killing and then turns themselves in, the most famous being Ed Kemper, who called the police, confessed, and even waited at the phone booth to be arrested. End quote. Okay, okay, okay. I think that is enough plagiarism for the day. Uh, But honestly, I really thought she taught me some cool things or elaborated upon things I thought I knew. And I hope you found a few of that, a little bit of that interesting. Moving on to the bread and butter, the kill, 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 die, 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 pack your bags because we're going to Germany again part. But in all seriousness, uh, this is a pretty gruesome case involving children on both sides. I don't, I can't seem to get away from it. Today I bring you Jurgen Barch or Barsh, the carnival killer. Following in suit of my recent episodes, our subject today, Jurgen did not have a good childhood. In fact, it was quite awful, some would say, some being me. Born in 1946 in Langenberg, Germany, his mother died when he was only five months old. With no father in sight, an adoption was set. His adopted father spent basically every waking hour working in his butcher shop while his new mother, suffering from extreme OCD, cleaned and nitpicked nonstop. And this worsened, worsened as he aged. Soon, Jürgen was no longer allowed to play with other children for fear of collecting dirt. He wasn't even allowed to bathe himself. His mother would do it for him. And this continued until he was 19, bathing and all. I mean, I thought I had seen some helicopter parents growing up, but this takes the cake. And that is only the the very tip of the iceberg. All while this was happening, he endured abuse, neglect, and all types of assault when his adoptive, quote, parents were around. So this comes from Murderpedia. Quote, Barsh was physically abused as a baby and was often discovered with visible scars and bruises. His mother also physically beat him, often in the same room where his father, the butcher, cut up carcasses. He was detained in an underground cellar for six years and was also sexually abused by his mother during those bathing sessions. Jürgen was sexually abused by his 13-year-old cousin when he was only eight years old and was also later abused by his teacher when he was 13 years old, end quote. I mean, there wasn't a single person in this guy's life who wasn't, like, hurting the poor kid. Everywhere he turned, he was beaten, abused, molested, you name it. All before he became a teenager. Absolutely dreadful to even imagine how fucked up he must have been at such a young age. Seeing as this was the only life Jürgen knew, um, I really hope I'm saying his name right. It could be Jürgen, but I think it's Jürgen. It didn't take long for him to turn around and just 
start hurting others himself. Only two years after his own uh, rape by the, they said teacher, but it was a, he was at a Catholic school, so it was a priest. Jurgen killed for himself at the age of 15. In 1962, he lured Klaus Jung, eight years old, to an abandoned air raid shelter a few miles out of town. Here, he would beat, tie up, torture, sexually assault, and proceed to kill this young boy. And he's only 15 himself. Like, what the, what the crap? I, how, I always hit my finger on this desk. I'll go into, into specifics here in a moment regarding his MO and what horrible things he admitted to later on. But first, we'll cover each time he actually committed murder. Surprisingly, like we kind of talked about before, it was three years until Jurgen killed another boy. Now keep in mind, it's assumed that uh, throughout all these years uh, that he was molesting kids, but these ones that we're talking about are the proven murders. So on August 7th, 1965, Jurgen killed his second victim, 13-year-old Peter Fuchs. And then on the same fucking day, he killed yet another young boy with repeated hammer blows to the head. And his name was Ulrich Kalweiss, Kalweiss, who was 12 years old. So sad. The next year, in 1966, he lured Manfred Grassman to his air raid shelter and proceeded to take his life as well. Later that year, as he was beginning, it seems, to pick up steam and sort of you know, accept who he frickin' was. Um, later that year, on June 18th, Jurgen kidnaps and ties up his fifth victim, Peter Fries. Remember, this guy is literally only 19 years old at this point, and his mother still bathes him. Loser. Thankfully, just before 7 p.m., Jurgen left Peter tied up in this air raid shelter to go home for dinner and watch television with his parents, which allegedly he had to do every single night or face the consequences. So, after Jurgen left, Peter was able to burn the ropes holding him in place over a small candle that had been left out burning. Peter escapes with his life and without too many serious injuries, thankfully, and shortly after, he reports this to police, and on June 22nd, Jurgen is arrested. Again, and I think I'm maybe subconsciously following a pattern here, but who cares? Our guy confesses to everything without hardly an argument. Ooh, I just made eye contact with somebody on the sidewalk. <sighs> I did like that. Okay, so I teased this before. But just a heads up, this part gets very graphic. Very, very graphic. After hours of interviews, this is what police were able to determine about his absolutely heinous acts. Quote, Every murder showed a minor difference in the modus operandi, but basically followed the same scheme. After luring a boy into, follow into following him to a mine that had also been used as an air raid shelter in the war, he attained his obedience by beating him. He then tied up the boys, manipulated their genitals, sometimes masturbated without ejaculation, 
and finally killed the children by beating or strangulation. Afterward, he cut the body into pieces, including decapitation, emptied the body cavities, the breast and abdomen, and generally dismembered most of the bodies. His actual goal was to very slowly torture the victims to death. End quote. Like, what the shit, man? A teenager doing this to other children who haven't even hit puberty yet, years younger than him? Unthinkable. The quote continues here, and it only gets worse. In his detailed description during the preliminary investigation of the case and during the trial, Jurgen emphasized that he never reached the sexual climax while masturbating, but while cutting the flesh after his victim's death. As he told police, this resulted in a continuous orgasm. During his last murder, he came very close to what he had envisioned as his greatest desire, to tie his victim to a post and slaughter a 12-year-old boy alive, end quote. I mean, jeesh. Kind of speechless after that one. And I didn't even mention his desire to skin a living child. So you're welcome. <laughs> As you can imagine, the trial was cake. Uh, initially, Jurgen had been sentenced to life in prison for his actions, and for years, he did remain in jail. Sometime after, however, he was able to get an appeal due to, due to some wancy-fancy technicality in his sentencing, which resulted in a new sentence of only 10 years at a mental hospital. Plus time served. If this idiot had any patience whatsoever, he could have been a free man again. But, greedy as he was, Jurgen had the option to, um, chop even more time off of his sentence. And that would involve voluntary castration. Side note, I say we bring that punishment back. I mean, what's with all these rapies out here getting a slap on the wrist just to go out and assault women all over again. I say, cut their fucking dicks off if they can't keep it in their pants. Anyways, Jurgen, our boy here, opted for the castration, and during the surgery, he goddamn died. Thank you, baby Jesus. Apparently, he had overdosed on the meds that were supposed to just knock him out. Allegedly, it was an accident, but shout out to the doctor who accidentally did that. Oh, um, before I go, I suppose you could possibly want to know this. As to why he is called the Carnival Killer, it isn't too much fun after all. Quote, often, Jurgen would also hang out at a parish or carnival fair where he invited children for free rides. Parish fairs in Germany were and are known to attract poor and homeless people and those from a less respected social background, which made it difficult or less difficult for well-dressed Barsh to talk to children without causing suspicion, end quote. So basically, just his hunting grounds, but not even a real carnival. Welpski, Delpski, Vokalokis. I think that'll about do it for today. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
I'll see you later this week for round two. Okay. Love you. Bye-bye.